Hi, I'm Pastor Jason from Yokine Baptist Church, and this is a sermon recorded at one of our Sunday morning services. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. Enjoy. It's a time in the life of the, of the Israelites of both excitement and tension. Israel is poised to enter the promised land. And here they are at the edge of everything they've looked forward to. And so their leader sends out some spies. Now the spies return, they bring their information, and the people of Israel turn and run away. No, no, that's not it. That's not right. That's what happened 40 years earlier. But can you imagine for Joshua this sense of deja vu? Are we going through this all over again? he's in the same position Moses was 40 years earlier. How could he be certain that this time would work out differently? Now, I like reading uh, spy novels. Uh, One of my favourites is uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan series. Uh, You've probably seen some of the movies like The Hunt for Red October or Patriot Games, things like that. And, you know, they're full of action, full of danger, full of intrigue. But they leave out a lot of the stuff in the books that I think makes it the most interesting, all of the character development and the motivations behind what people are doing. And there's a danger that we can do that with the Old Testament narratives as well. You know, we kind of treat them a bit like, you know, you do in Sunday school and you talk about the exciting stuff and the battles and the spies going out uh, and, and you can forget that there's a lot more depth going on underneath the scene. And so let's have a look at some of those things that are going on. Now, as I said, Israel has been here before. Forty years earlier, Moses sent in 12 spies and it was an absolute disaster. It wasn't because, you know, the lands that they were coming to were, you know, unconquerable or the people were too powerful. It was that the people of Israel lost faith. You know, God promised that they would have this land and God had always proven trustworthy but they were not. So the spies came back, told everyone, oh, it's terrible, we'll never do it, and they ran away, and God said, fine, you can spend 40 years wandering the wilderness, let this whole generation die off, and then let the next lot come and have another go. And so 40 years later, Joshua is giving the Israelites another chance. But he did things quite differently to the way Moses did them. I mean, I'm sure that Moses and and Joshua both were guided by God in, in terms of what they were doing. But when it came to the actual execution of the plan, Joshua did a far better job. So the first thing was that Moses got the 12 tribes to each send them a person to become a spy. And the trouble is when you, when you get volunteers or when you get kind of nominees like that, you don't always get the right people. You know, sometimes the people don't understand what's expected of them or maybe they don't have the right character or whatever it was. So in this case, Moses said, Joshua said, no, I'm not going to get nominees this time. I'm choosing some specific people who have the specific gifts that I'm looking for. The next thing, of course, is that the spies who Moses sent out thought they had one job when they really should have had another job. See, the spies that Moses sent out thought they were determining whether they were going to go in and invade the land. And so they went in there and they said, oh, no, no, we shouldn't do it, and came back and told everyone. That wasn't their job. 
Joshua made it much clearer to these new spies what their job was. He said, we are going in. We are going to attack. God has called us to do this. Your job is to go and check out the best way for us to do it. That's it. Your job isn't to make a decision on whether we go in, because we are. Your job is to help me find the best way to go in. And so, you know, it really helps if people know what the job is that they're supposed to be doing. So that's another difference between Moses and Joshua. Thirdly, Moses made the mistake of sending the spies out publicly, which meant when they came back, they also came back publicly and told everyone what they saw uh, and basically infected everyone with their own fear. This time Joshua did a lot more privately. He, he said, no, no, this is, not a, this is not a public approval thing. This is not, you know, I don't want you coming back and talking to the whole nation. I want you coming back and talking to me because we're planning an attack. We're not having a vote on whether we're going in. We're not having a vote on whether we're going to obey God. And there's another interesting thing. Some people think that Joshua lacked faith, right? Because God had told them they were going in. And we know a few chapters later that when it comes down to the actual attack on Jericho, there was no battle. There was this incredible miracle, which we'll get to in a few chapters' time, um, where the walls of Jericho fell down and God gave them the victory. So some people are saying, well, why did Joshua bother sending out spies anyway? God's going to do it all. Well, up until this point, there's been no indication in the scripture that God's going to do something miraculous. All Joshua knows is that God has told him we are going to invade the land. We're going to invade. And he's being a good general and he's spying out the best way to do it. He's making good plans. You know, just because you know you're in God's will, it doesn't mean that you don't use your intellect you know, and don't try and do things properly. And so Joshua was not going in there for a lack of faith. In fact, when you read through the whole of the chapter, and the reading itself was long enough, I didn't want you to have to have the whole thing, but if you read through the whole chapter, you'll see the way the spies spoke uh, to Rahab is that they were full of faith. They had no doubt in the world that they were going to succeed. And everything they said to Rahab was basically not, oh, we might be coming in or we might win. It was, no, no, we're coming in, we're going to win, and so we have no problem making you this promise. So they had this wonderful positive attitude about them. So that's the first part. So the spies have snuck in. And of course... Where do you go when you're a spy if you, want to get, if you want to get dirt? Well, you go somewhere where it's dirty, right? You go to, you go to the place where, um, you know, the seedy part of town, you know, as, uh, as Obi-Wan Kenobi said, you know, the hive of, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. That's where they weren't looking for a smuggler, right? So if you're looking for dirt, you go where it's dirty. And so they end up at this brothel. Uh, you know, the place probably had, you know, food, had entertainment, it obviously had accommodation, so it was quite a big place. But it was full of smugglers and cutthroats and thieves and, you know, only the best people, right? And of course, 
Who do they connect with but the madam, the chief prostitute herself? Now, some people try uh, in modern times to sanitise Rahab, you know, to make her something she's not. It, it goes back a long way. In fact, it, around the time of Jesus, there was a historic historian named Josephus, and he tried to claim that Rahab was just an innkeeper. You know, the word, the word prostitute's not, you know, a bit too, too harsh. But you don't need to sanitise her. She is who she is. And because she is who she is, that makes God's grace even more obvious. There's a, um, a book by Philip Yancey, one of my favourite books, called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he opens up with the story of a prostitute who went to a counsellor for help. And, and these are the counsellor's words. I asked her if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. And Yancey goes on to say that, you know, women like this actually fled towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about themselves, the more likely they saw Jesus as a place of refuge. A number of... uh, uh, of years ago, um, Margaret and I went and visited the Philippines along with my cousin and his wife. And, and uh, one of the first things that we, we do when we get to the Philippines, and, and you, know, you know I struggle from a bit of a bad back, is we go and get a massage, which is, you know, after sending several hours on a plane, you know, it's, it's really needed. In fact, my cousin will, will have like three or four massages every week because it's so dirt cheap. You know, the, the, the exchange rate is so, so good. It costs you about like 30 bucks for something that would cost you 150 bucks over here, right? And usually they're really great places. Uh, and they have um, signs on the, on, the, on the door that says that strictly, do not ask our staff for extras or you will be ejected. So that's how you know it's a reputable place. And you can only guess what extras are, right? Well, one day we were visiting a town that they'd never been to before and we'd spent several hours on a bus getting there. So we, we said, okay, let's find somewhere where we can get a massage. Thought, oh, yeah, this would be nice. Anyway, we go to this place. The first mistake I made was that this place was the only massage place that I'd ever seen where there was a man standing out the front saying, hey, come on in. And that didn't click with me because I'm rather naive, Okay. But as we walk in the door, we come in the door and there are these two girls sitting there with basically just like a bra top and really skimpy bottom and I kind of went, this is not the right place. And my cousin looked at my face and he says to me afterwards, he says, you were white as a sheet and you stepped backwards like you'd hit a wall. And so he thought he would have a bit of fun with me. And so he says says to them, so uh, do you do extras? Oh, yes, for you, sir, anything at all. And I said, but we're here with our wives and my nephew, eight-year-old kid. Oh, they can all come in too. (laughs) Sorry, we were out of there. We hope you're enjoying our sermon recording. 
Don't worry, it's not over just yet. I'm just here to quickly let you know that we need your help. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed everything, including how we run our church. Unfortunately, it hasn't had an effect on our running costs. We're happy to continue building our community together through whatever online means we have, but we still need your offering to cover all of our ongoing costs. To make a once-off or recurring donation to us, visit ybc.church give. Or if you'd prefer to transfer something to us directly, fill out the contact form on our webpage and ask for more information. So consider this the portion of our church service where we would hand around that offering bag. Just visit ybc.church give. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of our sermon. Now, I have to admit, I was not like Jesus. I did not think, oh, these poor people in their terrible circumstances, I could share the love of God with them. No, no, all I felt was like, help, I'm getting out of here as quickly as I could so I could run away, and my wife and them had to kind of follow after me as we ran out the door. <laughs> so I was not as, uh, as redemptive uh, as God normally is in such circumstances, I must admit. But see, Rahab is that kind of person. She's that kind of person that I encountered on that occasion. Uh, And she's a good liar too. She's not only a prostitute, she's a great liar because somehow the king managed to find out that there were spies. They sent their guards to, to Rahab's place to try and track them down and Rahab spun them this incredible lie that they'd already gotten out of the city and all the rest of it. Um, and so, you know, so, she's, so don't sanitise Rahab. She's a prostitute, she's a liar. She's not the greatest person in the world. I mean, she's in the worst place in the city. And Canaan, the reason God wanted to wipe out Canaan was because they were the, among the worst sinners on the face of the earth. And so she was not just the worst, but she was the worst of the worst. But that's when you get a surprising twist in the story, you see. And this is the difference between me and God. If you go back to the call of Abraham when when God called him, and he talked about this great blessing that he would have, and Abraham became the father of all the Israelites. He said that all the people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, the promise of blessing wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for the Israelites, but it was so that the whole earth would be blessed through them. And here's where I believe that God's purposes and Joshua's purposes began to diverge. You see, Joshua was preparing for a battle. He sent spies in there in order to find the best way of attack. That's, that was his motivation. But God was looking for a different kind of victory. God was starting this process of bringing Gentiles into his family. Uh, and so there's an interesting story here. So we, we get to the end of that passage and we, we, we read it before, how Rahab said to the guys, look, we know that everyone's afraid of you. I believe that your God is the true God. Um, have mercy on me and my family. So here in the strangest of places... God is calling the first of many people from outside of the Israelites to come into the kingdom. And we know that Rahab and her family joined the Israelites because um, a few chapters later we read that um, 
the men who had done the spying went in and they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought the entire family out and they camped near Israel. And the writer says something interesting, so obviously he's writing this, he's editing several years later. He says, and they remain among us to this very day. They became part of the family of the Israelites. So in a city of God's enemies, in the worst place of sin, to the worst sinner of them all, God shows his mercy. Isn't that a wonderful God we serve? There's one more twist in the story also that we didn't see coming. Not only did God save this wretched sinner and her family... Um, we also realise that she has a, ends up becoming having a special place in Israel. So if you look in the New Testament when it writes about her, and the opening video talked about the heroes of faith, and it mentioned Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with the rest. And James goes on to say, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? So even the New Testament writers recognise that this is the first opportunity that God has to declare someone righteous, to give his grace to these people outside the kingdom of Israel. Rahab is listed among the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab's daughter-in-law was Ruth. We've had the story of Ruth before. Ruth was another foreigner who married into the life of Israel. And of course, Rahab then became the great-grandmother of David, who became king of Israel. So not only did she come uh, into the kingdom, she became an important part of the line of the king of Israel. Now, there's one final element to the story uh, that I'd like us to, to consider here, and I found this quite fascinating when I studied it. Just before the Israelites go in to attack Jericho, they celebrated Passover together. Now, a big part of Passover, if you've been part of one of my Passover services or if you've watched it online, you'll see a big part of Passover is telling the story of what God did. And of course, the most important element of that story is how the Israelites painted the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, and that was a sign that when God came past, he passed over any house that had the blood on the doorposts. That image was ingrained in the mind of the Israelites. You know, the people who were there with Joshua now would have only been children at that first Passover. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like as a kid going through that and crossing the Red Sea and then, you know, all that stuff. And they were only kids, but every year they sat together. And if you've been to a Passover, you realise one of the roles of the children in a Passover service, is that the children ask the questions. Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we reclining at the table? All these sort of things that lead to them telling the story. So these kids who had grown up asking those questions were now parents who were answering those questions. The image of the red over the door, they would have known exactly what that was. And so it's no 
mistake, it's no accident that the spies brought with them a red cable and they pull it out of their backpack and they say to Rahab, hang this outside your door. Any Israelite that comes into the city is going to know exactly what it is and they will pass over your house and you will be saved. But not only did that scarlet cord recall the Passover lamb, it was also a foreshadowing of Christ himself. Peter says to us that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that we were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, our perfect lamb. You know, being the ancestor of David also made made, uh, Rahab the ancestor of Jesus. And this red cord that she hung from her window is a direct image, a picture of the blood of Christ. So here she is, a nobody, worse than a nobody, the worst of sinners in the most sinful of cities. She is saved and she is brought into God's blessing. She is so honoured that she becomes part of the line of the King of Israel and in turn the Messiah himself. So that's our story of spies, lies and disguise. For me, the best part of the story is not, you know, the adventure part. You know, the spies sneaking into the city, being hunted by guards, you know, making a dangerous escape back over the the river, you know, all that would probably make a really terrific movie. But that's not the part that really speaks to me. That was what Joshua was maybe thinking of. He was concerned about a battle. He was concerned about the intrigue and all that kind of stuff. But God had something else in mind. For God, the true purpose of the spies was to bring Rahab and her family into God's kingdom. And isn't that typical of God? He brings the most unlikely people into work for him. You know, time and time again through Scripture, God chooses the unlikely person. Remember when he called David as the king. You know, if it was up to you and me, we would have called Saul. You know, oh, look at this guy. He's handsome. He's head and shoulders above everyone else. He's a great fighter. He's the obvious choice to be king. But he wasn't. He was a failure. And instead, God chooses, you know, little David, the shepherd boy, to be his king. You know, we'd pick great speech makers and learned scholars to be disciples of Jesus. And who does Jesus choose? He chooses fishermen and tax collectors, uh, people who um, probably couldn't read, people who had a fiery temper like James and John, who he called sons of thunder, you know, the worst people that you could pick. Jesus seems to pick them and use them for his glory. At the end of the day, this is less of a story about spies as it is as a story about a sinner's transformation by the grace of God. Paul knew exactly what that meant because he was the most unlikely of people. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. That's what God does. He chooses the worst people 
and he transforms them into mighty heroes of faith. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you just, oh, gee, I don't know, I'm nothing really. How could God use me? I haven't got any great skills. I'm not the best looking person in the world. You know, I'm fat and I've got a bad back or whatever. I'm speaking for myself, of course. You know, I'm so ordinary and so flawed that how could God use me? But here, in this story, God went out of his way to find the worst person possible and bring her into his kingdom. Just imagine what God can do with us. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are an amazing and a wonderful God of love. You are holy and perfect and you can't allow sin to come into your presence. And so by rights, none of us should be in your kingdom. And yet, Lord, because of your awesome love and mercy, you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin. Lord, a price we could never pay by ourselves. And so we receive as a free gift of grace your salvation that we could never earn for ourselves. And Lord, sometimes we struggle to to think of ourselves as being people that can really be used by you. We just think we're just so ordinary. Or maybe some of us think we're even less than ordinary. Maybe we we have hang-ups about what we've done in our lives or our failures or whatever it might be. But Lord, this story shows us how you can take even the worst of people and transform them and use them for your glory. What a God of love you are. And so, Lord, we say to you, use us, transform us, take us as we are, turn us into the people you want us to be and set us loose on this world for you. Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to demonstrate your grace. Help us not to wander around with our noses in the air with pride as though we've somehow ruined our salvation. But help us to be willing to say to everyone that we meet, Look, I'm just like you, only I've been forgiven by a gracious God. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to your service and we say, use us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those that have donated to us online, enabling us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. Click the link in the description or visit yokinebaptist.church to find out other ways you can support us. If you enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.